Hey, hey, welcome. It's the Disability Law Show. Good to have you along. John Scholes here. I simply uh, talk and host. All the brain power comes from the other microphone. That would be Martin Willems. You want to reach out to Martin anytime and his team. You're encouraged to do so. You can use the good old-fashioned phone. That would be one 821 5900 the email route is help at disabilityrights.ca and for any other matters you can go to pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca as well that's a uh, several drop down menus of, of questions it takes about 30 seconds and it'll direct you where you need to go if that's help from uh, from Martin it'll, it'll put you in contact with him again pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca okay lots to get through today pal want to get right into our uh, main topic that is questions about disability policy provisions They've all got them. That's why they're 35 pages long. But the first one is this, uh, Martin. Let's get into notice periods. Now, do I have any recourse if my LTD application was submitted late? Because I wouldn't be the first one to submit a late application for whatever reason. It could be physical reasons. Could be, uh, it could be otherwise. But what's the, what's the recourse there, pal? Well, that's true. You definitely will not be the first one or the last yeah. one. Uh, yep. It keeps happening. And this is actually... A topic that has come up this week at the firm, uh, there's been a lot of questions coming in from the public about this particular issue. Not necessarily that, what can I do? It's, this is what happened. Where do right. I go now? Right. So let, let's start with basics. Uh, disability policy is a contract, and the contract has rights and obligations and provisions. So when you become disabled and you submit a claim to an insurance company, that policy, that contract, there are certain provisions which pertain to notice that you have to notify the insurance company of the be- of the claim that's coming. And then on top of that, there are provisions that deal with providing proof of the claim that you're planning to submit. Not everybody knows this. Um, in our previous show, I discussed what happens when you've got a WCB claim and then you don't submit the claim to the insurance company so you miss those notice provisions and proof of claim provisions which can be really complicated when it gets down to the gross tax of it how to manage these things so let's speak about how this works if you have a claim if you become disabled you may have short-term benefits through your employer or through the insurer or you may not have short-term and then there's a waiting period maybe four weeks four months where you have to get through that period before you become entitled to LTD benefits. But the policy requires you to submit that claim within a certain period of time. Not everybody knows about it. Like you were saying, sometimes people just, for whatever reason, they may have submitted the claim late. I've spoken to people who have submitted the claim two years late, three years late, even four years. Um, Others is more so a few months. And there's generally a good reason why there's a claim that's submitted late, right? Because you're not planning on doing it. You're not getting money from the insurance company, not getting money from your employment because you're not working. So why on earth would you delay? So usually there's a good reason why people may not know that they have the coverage. There may have been other issues. Like you said, there may be a disability that the person couldn't actually do it. But what happens if there is a late application? Insurance companies often deny people on this basis where they would say you submitted your claim late the policy requires that you do it within this period of time be it 30 days from the date of the expiry of the elimination period that waiting period or 90 days that you provide proof of claim in other words submit your statement the doctor's statement the employer's statement right and then you have to figure out what do i do now that they've submitted my claim once it's because it's late do you have recourse this a equitable principle in the law 
where you may be forgiven for not abiding by the policy provisions. And it really comes down to what is the prejudice? How is the insurance company prejudiced by this fact that you were late? And why did it? Why was it submitted late? So we often, often assist people with claims where they were denied and they were because they were submitted late. So the insurance company didn't even assess whether the person was disabled. They simply wow. said, you're late, we're going to deny you, goodbye. And luckily for them, they've contacted us because when they do, we've looked at the claim, we've looked at the policy, we've looked at the denial letter, and have a discussion about the person's personal circumstances. Why was it late? How did this come about? Often it happens with miscommunication between the insurer, mostly with the employer, that they didn't know that they had to do it. Some people submitted an application late to the wrong insurance company. There are all types of reasons, right? But you really shouldn't be prejudiced because of that. Now, often we would assist through the legal, through a legal claim. So the message to you is listening, if you submitted a claim late and you've been faced with a denial, don't be discouraged by the fact that the insurance company says, well, this is this contract and you had to do it within this timeline. So we're denying your claim because you didn't. Many people feel intimidated or discouraged because they think the insurance company knows everything. There's simply this person making a claim and they missed it. So they've got no other option. You do. And the first thing you do is you get on the phone with us and have a discussion because we do offer free consultations to have a discussion specifically about this. And then we can advise you about what your options are. And then you've got that information to make an informed decision as they are to proceed. But yes, we've represented many clients who have had their claims denied because they submitted them late. And I must say, for the most part, we were helpful in a very successful manner. How about this one? The, uh, the rehabilitation provision, that's in there as well. Will the insurer continue to pay a person benefits or, or even top you top you up if you're participating in a rehab program because they're going to demand you do that? Or maybe it's, it's your medical team that you're involved with, right, in that regard? There's another good question because often most policies have something called rehabilitation clauses in them mm-hmm. where the insurance company wants you to participate in a rehab program. And they say if you don't do it, then we're going to deny your claim because we're saying you are to, you are breaching your obligations under the policy. So they're very, I would say, militant and aggressive about yeah. people participating in these rehab programs because the whole focus of the rehab program is to get the person back to work, if it's successful, of course. So while you're doing this, will the insurance company top you up if you are participating in a gradual return to work? Because that's often deemed to be part of the rehab program. They should. It all depends on the language and the policy. But they're not going to do this for an ongoing, for you know, they're not going to do it for months and months. Right. It may be six weeks, it may be two months or even three months. Their focus in pushing you to do a rehab program is by having you, if you do a gradual return to work, increase your hours gradually to a point where they can say, well, it looks to us like you're no longer disabled. And when you're participating in these programs, yes, they will top you up and they should. If they don't, again, reach out to us, but also see your doctor very regularly so that if you find that your condition worsens during the graduated return to work program and the insurance company is pushing you to do it, but your doctor is saying, look, clearly you're, you're not getting better it's actually creating more problems. It's actually making your condition worse. You want to be in a position to have your doctor's support. If you do say to the insurance company, look, 
I've tried, I've done my best, I've really pushed myself, but it's it's too early and I cannot do this. And I'm following my doctor's advice. I'm not going to stop it again. They're not going to like that necessarily. So they may deny your claim or may say to you, well, we think that you can. If that happens, again, reach out to us because I find that lots of people do get denied at this juncture when they're doing a rehab program and the insurance company makes a decision when they've just started and said, well, our plan provides that you're going to increase your hours gradually within the next six weeks. And by the end of the six week period, you're going to be back at work doing full time work without waiting to see how it actually did progress. And you get denied at the time that you start that graduated return to work. If that happens, again, don't be discouraged because we don't know and you don't know and your doctor doesn't know and the insurance company most definitely doesn't know whether you're going to be successful with that graduated return to work attempt. And if you're not, your claim should be resuming. And if you've got your doctor's support to stop working, listen to your doctor is what my advice always is. And if the insurance company then denies, reach out to us. How about the, uh, I'm going I'm to throw this one kind of as a part two to that one. How about uh, what would they call a recurrence clause? Does that kick in as well? Recurrence clauses, it's, you know, it's always a hot topic, right? It does, when does that kick in? Say you're on an LTD claim and during the own occupation period, you do go back to work on a graduated basis. Let's say you're successful in getting back to work, but after two or three months, you find that your condition worsens and you go off again because of the same condition. Most group policies provide that a recurrence clause runs for six months from the day that you've gone back to work full time. So if you do go off work due to the same condition and you're unable to work, theoretically, the insurance company should start to pay you benefits again without having to satisfy a whole waiting period again. Does that actually happen is a completely different question, right? Um, because it may be that they say, well, we disagree. We think that you can work. You've shown that you're capable of working, so we're going to deny your claim. If you go off work due to a different condition, then that may very well be a new claim. But it all comes down to how is the recurrence provision defined in your policy? And again, when we have discussions with people about their claims, be it that they're denied or be it that they've got a recurrence provision that they want to inquire about, get the policy, get the policy wording, and we'll review it with you to tell you what exactly it means and how it affects your specific situation. Let's get this one in before the break. We're down to treatment provisions. Is the insurer obligated under the LTD policy to pay for my treatment? I know they'll tell you where to go. I mean, don't figure it out. I mean, they'll literally tell you where to go to get treatment, but they have to pay for it. <laughs> It's a good question. They do not have to pay for it. The policy provides that they have to pay you LTD benefits if, you're claim if you are disabled and accepted to be disabled under the policy. Many people ask me this and say, the insurance company doesn't want to pay for my, uh, my counseling or my physiotherapy. They don't have to under the LTD policy. That's mm -hmm. coverage that you may have through your extended health. But they may pay for it if they find that they're going to do it through a rehabilitation program and the focus of that is they're only going to do that once they've got a cost-benefit analysis. If they think if we fund treatment for three months, you'll get back to work. But if we don't fund that treatment, then you're going to be on claim for a longer period of time. So they're going to look at, is it cost-beneficial to us to pay three months of treatment? Because at the end of that treatment program, we think you'll be back to work so we don't have to pay you LTD anymore. So it really is, what do they think? Is it in their interest? 
And let's take that short break. We've got a couple more to go as uh, we're talking uh, through this particular portion about disability policy provisions. So stick around for that. Anytime you want to reach out, though, to uh, to, uh, to Martin, anytime uh, we're not doing the show, you can. The phone number is available uh, to you. It's, it's free just to have a chat, right? 1-855-821-5900. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue after break. More of the Disability Law Show is on the way. All right, back. Disability Law Show is what you are listening to. Martin Willems is your guide to reach out. Martin, the lawyer, of course, disability lawyer, can handle and help with anything you need. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. And for any other questions, you can use mydisabilityquestions.com. We're talking about, uh, I guess for part of this segment as well, questions about disability policy provisions. You've been kind of uh, pulling these together over the last few weeks, and we're going to uh, answer some of them now, Martin. We've gone through the you know, the notice periods, rehab provisions, treatment provisions. How about change of definition provisions? What is the the commensurate income, and how is it determined? We know we've talked about that term before, but break it down for me. You know, this is probably one of the biggest things that come up in a disability claim, and I know myself and every member of our team speak. We will speak to somebody with this question. And lots of times people don't even know that there is a change of definition. Lots of times people don't even think that they're going to be getting benefits or that there's an opportunity to get benefits beyond the two years of own occupation. So what is the change of definition? Again, most group policies, not all of them, but I would say 99% of them, will have what is called a change of definition. What does that mean? Remember, we're speaking about a contract. So the policy defines what total disability means. For the first two years, some may have one year, some may have three years, but most of them will have two years. For the first two years of LTD, long-term disability, you have to prove that you cannot perform the duties of your own occupation. After that period, which is called the own occupation period, the definition changes. Then the definition becomes, you have to prove that because of your illness or your injury, you are unable to perform the essential duties of any occupation for which you have the transferable skill sets and which you may be able to do within your medical restrictions and limitations. Some policies may say, based on your education, your training and experience, which may qualify you or for which you may become qualified. Not all of them say that. What does that mean? So if you were earning... $60,000 a year before you became disabled. The insurance company for those first two years will be looking at, can you perform the duties of your own occupation? Mm -hmm. That's the only assessment. When the definition changes and we speak about any occupation, it doesn't literally mean any occupation. It means something, number one, that you are able functionally to do within your restrictions and limitations. It means something that you can do within your transferable skill sets, but other words, based on your education, your training, your experience. Mm -hmm. But it also means something that would have to pay you a certain amount of income. And the higher your income was before you became disabled, the higher the income level will be, which is referred to as the commensurate level of income, that you would have to be able to earn before they can deny your claim. So if you were earning $60,000, and the policy is silent on what is called the commensurate income. In other words, it doesn't have a percentage. When it has a percentage, it may say you have to be able to earn 65 or 75% of your pre-disability income. If it doesn't say that, then it usually defaults back to what your LTD benefit is. 
So the easiest way to look at this is if there is a job out there that will pay you roughly the same as your long-term disability benefit that you could do for any employer in any setting, even working from home, even on a part-time basis, then you no longer qualify for benefits. So it sounds difficult, but we have to, you have to, and the insurance company must consider all the facts, right? If you have a mental health disorder, you have to focus, you have to concentrate in your job as a teller at the bank. Now you've been given the first two years of benefits. Now the insurance company is looking at, can you work in any other occupation? What occupation is there that doesn't require you to focus and to concentrate and to be motivated to get out of bed and to have the energy to actually perform those duties? So, and again, lots of people become discouraged because they think, well, this is so difficult. The insurance company says, I, I, I can do any job. It's not any job. It is something that you can do within your restrictions and your limitations. So if they deny you at this juncture where they say, well, we've paid you the two years, now it's completely different. It's any occupation. Please reach out to us so we can discuss with you what your options are and whether we agree with what the insurance company says. Many people then also think, well, I'm just going to continue to get my benefits because I cannot go, I cannot do my own occupation or I cannot go back to this employer. Yep. I don't like it there. It's it's a toxic workplace, so they have to carry on paying me benefits. That's not the assessment. Remember, when we speak about the any occupation phase, it's not limited to going back to work for your own employer. It's any employer, even self-employment. So they often do something called uh, a vocational assessment yes. or a transferable skills analysis where they're going to be looking at, is there something available in the labor market that we think you can do? They don't have to find you a job, and you don't have to actually be able to get the job. It's simply, are you qualified to do that job? Which, again, lots of people think, well, they've denied me, so they're probably right on that point. No, that's not how that works. If you actually are capable of going to work in another occupation, if you really are, then, of course, by all means, the insurance company may be right. But many, many times they're not because the person continues. Remember, they've already been out of the workforce now for two-plus years. That's right. And they haven't recovered. So we want to look at all the evidence and are you actually capable? Because when we're looking at the education training experience to see whether you have the transferable skill sets to go work in another occupation, what they often do is, oh, we see that you worked in an office 10 years ago. In the meantime, you've been working as a laborer. Right. So now we're going to say what we think because you've got that office experience and you're 60 years of age, you can now go back and work in an office environment. It also has to have some sense of reality to it, right? We, we have to be real as to looking at the person's actual education training experience and are they qualified to go work in another occupation. To, I suppose, summarize that one, if you are denied, again, we offer consultations on a free basis throughout Canada, other than in Quebec and the territory. So if you have a denial on that basis or any other basis, contact us and we'll review it with you. And commensurate income, I mean, that's that's generally the same amount, 60 65%, which is what you'd be paying generally on LTD anyway, right? That's that's the margin? That is the margin, unless the policy defines it differently. Some okay. policies may even say 50% of your predisability income, which really makes it more complicated. Others may say that the Cadillac policies, if we could call it that, may provide that your income has to be 75% of your indexed predisability income. In other words it gets indexed from what it was before. And then we look at what is 75% of that amount. So it really depends on the policy. 
and the language if the language is silent on a percentage <laughs> then it is a common law position of commensurate income which is roughly 65 to 67 percent same as the ltd benefit amount Let's talk a little bit about uh, appropriate treatment now. I know, I know you you'll if you're on LTD, sometimes you'll get uh, you know I'm using air quotes here orders from the insurer where to get treatment, how it's done. But who actually decides whether treatment is appropriate and what is the treatment? What if it's not working? Then what do you do? So, good question can become complicated because again we're looking at a policy which is a contract. Many contracts provide that you have to be in order to receive benefits you have to be appropriately treated or be in an appropriate treatment program. And many policies may actually say, within our opinion, which we deem to be appropriate. Who decides that? Well, listening to what I've just said, sometimes the insurance company, many times the insurance company will say, well, we do not think that you are on an appropriate treatment program. Um, and then they may deny the claim. So how do you deal with a situation like that? even if they haven't even taken that position. What you want to make sure about is you see your doctor regularly. And if your doctor provides or says that this is the appropriate treatment, do what the doctor is suggesting. Obviously, in the world that we live in now, the medical system is very, very overburdened. Doctors are struggling to keep up with patients. There are lots of people, who, patients who don't have doctors. I speak to people with, about this all the time, and it really becomes a difficult thing to navigate. Do whatever you can to see the doctor on a regular basis. And if the treatment isn't working, for example, you've been given antidepressants and you've been using them now for six months, either that they're not working or they've got side effects or they may actually be making things worse, be proactive. Take the step where you go see the doctor and say, this isn't working, maybe we should try something else. Or if you're doing it for a year and things don't get better, speak to the doctor. Yeah. have a discussion about should we consider sending me to a psychiatrist or should we consider sending me to a chronic pain clinic if this what you're doing isn't working show that you are taking those steps because it's important from the insurance company's perspective when they look at these cases as to what it is that you are doing in terms of your treatment they're going to be very focused on that especially if the disability continues and you're just doing the same thing so who decides it Quite often, the insurance company, your doctor may disagree. And if they did say, we are going to deny your claim because we don't think that you're appropriately treated, that's where the doctor steps in and says, well, actually, no, mm -hmm. we are doing this. This may take some time to, for the person to get better, or they've already tried other medications that didn't work, or they may be very sensitive to taking medications, and that isn't working, so we're looking at counseling. The doctor and you must be in a continual relationship so that the doctor feels comfortable to provide an informed opinion. I know I sound like a broken record every week, but see the doctor regularly so that you and your doctor are on the same page. And if the insurance company denies you, then you can work together um, opposing their position together with hopefully a lawyer representing you if the claim is denied on that basis. All right. As mentioned, we got a bunch of emails coming in here, so we'll get to uh, we'll get to our first one. At least get through this one uh, in this uh, this particular segment. It says Martin, I've been on LTD for two years, and I was told my cutoff date is March second, and they will have to do an investigation to see if I'm still eligible. I had rotator cuff surgery back in June 2023, and have been on pain meds and sleeping pills ever since. I've tried physiotherapy and was told to go back to my doctor before I continue physio. I'm a heavy-duty mechanic, and my lifestyle has changed a lot. Uh, I was always doing my own home repair. I sold my motorcycle and snowmobile because I can no longer ride either. What do you suggest? 
Okay, similar, almost similar to one of the points that we discussed here. What is the change of definition? Because this yeah. person has been on LTD for two years. So what he's saying is they're going to have to do an assessment or an investigation whether he remains eligible for benefits, which means that they're going to assess can he perform the duties of any other occupation. Lots of things to consider here. Again, have your doctor on board because things that jump out at me, rotate the cuff, surgery so obviously he's got an issue with this with the shoulder and since then have been on pain medications and sleeping pills ever since so maybe that surgery wasn't successful it's not simply the fact of that you've got an injury it is how do the pain medications affect you if it makes you very sleepy or if you're not being able to sleep because of the pain and how does the pain affect you does it affect your thinking your concentration your focus as a result of this, that has started to affect your mental health. All of these things have to be considered when you assess whether the person is able to go back into the workforce in a different occupation. You see, the person says they've been working as a heavy-duty mechanic ever since. So maybe unable to do any labor type of work, now the assessment is going to be can they work in a potentially sedentary occupation? And there it is, what are the transferable skills? Even in a sedentary occupation, or there's still restrictions and limitations that would prevent them from working. What was the income from before? And what entry level positions are there available based on those transferable skills? So if there is a denial coming down the pipe on this one, this is an exact example of things that we work on where we do represent clients and give them the compensation that they're entitled to because insurance companies often deny people at this juncture because it's more difficult once you've approved the claim into the any occupation phase especially if things don't improve, to then deny the person. So they're going to be very focused at this juncture to see, is the person disabled or are we going to deny him? Wow. we got lots to get through. really appreciate that email. Keep sending them in if they don't appear on the rest of today's show. Um, you know, going forward, we always stack them up and read them out and get you some answers anyway. That email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. You want to skip that and call Martin directly, you can do so, one 855 2-1-5900. And for other questions, you want to use your uh, your tablet, your smartphone, whatever, even your desktop, go to mydisabilityquestions.com, type it in there and see if it's come up previously. It's searchable too, right? So maybe your question has been asked by someone else and you can simply read the answer, save you uh, a bit of a time. More of your emails are coming up here as we continue with more of the Disability Law Show. Hang in there. All right, we are back with the Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is here answering your email questions, of course. Uh, next one down the line, buddy says, uh, guys, my long-term disability benefit will be terminated uh, December 2024, which is when I turn 65. But wonder if I'm able to return to work. What if I'm able to return to work? Uh, what is my employer's responsibility? I wouldn't have the ability to return to the same position I had before my leave. Okay, so interesting question. We're fortunate at our firm because we have a whole team of employment lawyers yep. who would be comfortable to respond to this question. So again, we, we deal with lots of clients and people from public who contact us who have hybrid type of questions. So there's a disability component and an employment component. And again, if you have an employment question, by all means, reach out to us because we have that team to work with us. Now, this question, benefits will terminate in December of 2024 because the person is turning 65. So on the LTD component, most policies, if not all of them, do end 
benefits entitlement end at the age of 65. I've seen ones where they've ended at the age of 60, or I've seen other ones where benefits are limited to the payment of two years. Not many, unless it is a group policy, or sorry, an individual policy that may extend to the age of 70 if you purchased an extra rider, which is an addendum to the contract you have, that may extend benefits beyond seven, beyond 65 to 70. But if it is a regular group policy, your benefits likely will be terminated um, in December when you turn 65. Does the employer have a duty to accommodate you? Again, I would suggest you reach out to our employment team, but in a general sense, I do believe that employers have a duty to accommodate people to return to some form of a position. And if they're not able to do that, you may have a claim there as well. So for anybody listening, if you're in a similar situation, please reach out and have a discussion with one of our employment lawyers. Okay, let's uh, let's roll down to the next email. Pal says, Martin, I have an LTD case manager that does not acknowledge me as a human. Talks over me in conversations. He only hears himself. Can I swap this guy out? What do I do? <laughs> well, you know, there are all types of different case managers that you get out there. I've heard from people that they really like the case managers that they deal with, and I've heard mm-hmm. from others, many of them, that they actually find the interactions with the insurance company, the case managers, to be quite uncomfortable and quite panic-inducing at times as well. So if this is a situation, the LTD case manager is not treating you the way that you would want to be treated and is talking over you in conversation, I would suggest that you make a complaint to the insurance company, approach the supervisor, request a different case manager. Um, You may request that everything be done in writing if they're amenable to that. And make notes of the conversations that you've had with this person. If there is a situation where it is aggravating your condition, have a discussion with your doctor about that as well. And have your doctor note in his records, his or her records, as to the difficulties that you're having in your interactions with the insurance company. From my perspective, it's always key to have doctors detail in their notes what is going on with you as time goes by, be it with respect to your condition or be it with respect to anything that may aggravate it through your interactions with the insurance company. So that's key. But have a discussion with the the person supervisor, your case manager supervisor, tell them what is happening, that you're not being listened to, which is very important, obviously, when you have a disability claim. They specifically phone you to conduct what is called functional telephone interviews. So they have to ask you questions to get information from you. And if he's not even listening to you, what is the point? So make sure that the the supervisor or the manager understands that and request that they advise that they appoint somebody else to manage your claim. Okay, got a lengthy one here, pal. Let's uh, let's get to this one again. Emails anytime, even when we're not on air, guys. Help at disabilityrights.ca and the phone number one eight five five. 821-5900. Hello, I've been on uh, approved LTD since 2020 and CPPD since uh, 2022. Last year, CPPD paid me almost $30,000, which I had to send to my insurance company, so I didn't keep it. It's been added to my taxes, and now my income from last year put me in a new tax bracket owing thousands of dollars. I shouldn't have to pay for the income that I never had. The CRA can't help me and isn't offering any direction. Surprise. Can you offer any suggestions on what I can do not to pay taxes on money that isn't mine and what I can do to get around it? I can't imagine I'm the only person who's going through this. Thank you so much. I had no idea that would happen. You know, so 
This comes down to that big question about CPP disability benefits. So when you've, and this person has been on claim since 2020. So I don't know when they applied for CPP disability benefits, but if the claim is approved, CPP, then it is approved retroactive 11 months from the date of application if the disability extends further back than that. Most policies provide, if not all, that I'm speaking about disability policies, that the insurance company can deduct other sources of income that you may receive as a result of your disability. And those other sources of income specifically include CPP disability benefits. And people really get upset and understand why. If the LTD benefit amount is non-taxable, but the CPP disability amount is taxable. So they received $30,000 um, last year because it was a retroactive payment. So did you, when you say you didn't receive any of the money, remember that the policy provides that the insurance company can deduct it. So a different way of looking at that is the insurance company will say, well, you were overpaid. You shouldn't have received that top up because the right. CPP is an offset. How do you deal with that? It's a difficult thing to manage, but the only suggestion that I have is if your condition is such that you cannot work in any occupation and it's ongoing and it is severe from the sounds of it, it is. You want to apply for a disability tax credit. Have your doctor support you on that. Submit an application to CRA because that may and hopefully will alleviate some of the tax consequences for you. So no, you're not the only person who is going through this you're, and you will not be the last person raising this. But we look at the policy and the policy wording and if it is taxable, the disability tax credit, I think, would be the only suggestion that I could have for you. You're in good hands either way. We appreciate the email and reach out by phone to further that conversation. Get some more uh, advice from Martin if you would. Uh, if you would, that'd be great. One eight five five eight two one. 5900 again 18558215900 help at disabilityrights.ca and for uh, short quick notations on LTD you can learn lots by the way it's uh, it was designed to be very simple to use ltdfaq.ca lots more of the employment law pardon me the disability law show is coming up here in moments stick with us all right we are back disability law show is what you are listening to thank you for tuning in if it's been the entire hour that's great if not uh, we do this every week so you have a chance to uh, listen and even contribute to the show couple different ways. Email is good. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And you want to call Martin and his team directly, 1-855-821-5900. Okay, pal, here's our next email. It says, guys, I'm currently on LTD, and I was wondering, once I'm ready for a gradual return to work, do I have to return to the same organization slash position? Also, if I do a gradual return to work and my current employer fires me once I'm back, then what do I do? Well, Interesting and complicated. Mm. Yeah. Do you have to return to the same organization or position? So let's look at the position first. It depends on where you are at in the process. Like if it is during the own occupation phase, suppose it's your choice where you return to because the insurance company's obligation is to pay you benefits if you are unable to perform the duties of your occupation. They deny people sometimes when the person says, I have a toxic workplace. I cannot work there. Then they say, well, that's not the assessment. We're going to deny you because we're looking at whether you can perform the duties of your occupation for any employer during the own occupation period. So the assessment is, can you do your occupation when you say same position 
for any employer. So if you don't want to go back there, I suppose that's a discussion that you could have with the insurance company doing a gradual return to work. But I would imagine that there would be some consequences if you're unable to carry on um, with your actual employer. The other issue is if it is in the any occupation phase, the insurance company simply would not care, I would think. Because then they're assessing, can you work in any other occupation for any employer in any setting? If you do go back to work for a different employer and you are unable to carry on with that because of your disability, you want to make sure that the recurrence provision in your policy doesn't require you to go back to your employer in order for that recurrence provision to be effective. Right. Some of them do say that. Not all of them, but some of them do. So you want to make sure that you look at the language of the policy before you make this decision. The next question is, if I do a gradual return to work and my current employer fires me once I'm back, what do I do? Then you reach out to our employment team and have a discussion because employers, in my understanding, would be required to accommodate you. And if there's a dismissal or a termination, you may have a claim to pursue there. On the LTD side, remember, if you do go back to work and they terminate you, is that going to affect your entitlement to LTD? Mm. How would we know if you were unable to carry on with that right. because your employment has now been terminated? So again, like with all the questions before, if you do do this, make sure that you report to your doctor on a regular basis how your condition improves or worsens if you do a graduated return to work because the effort of the graduated return to work may have a negative effect on your condition. And if it worsens, especially in a situation like this, you want to have the proof that you did document it to your doctor, advising the doctor that things are not going great. Yeah, you want a complex paper trail. We always tell people, you know, phone conversation's fine, but take notes after the phone call and write stuff down. Even send emails to uh, to reiterate this is what we talked about today, blah, 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 with the insurance company. And just, uh, just keep yourself uh, covered for sure. We're going through a couple more emails here. Let me roll down, Martin. Uh, says Martin, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression around about the same time I started my current job. I got my insurance covered uh, after the probationary period at the end of 2022. In November of 2023, I suffered a traumatic event and was diagnosed with a panic disorder. Prior to that, I was taking the same low dose of antidepressant to manage my mood. I did not miss any time from work prior to November 2023. I submitted a claim for LTD benefits, which was denied, as the insurer says it's a pre-existing condition. My doctor not agree, as he says I was managing fine before I suffered the traumatic event. Is there anything I can do about this? Always creeps up every show, that pre-existing condition, huh? Mm-hmm. That pre-existing condition, you know yeah. what, that is a difficult thing for people to understand and for people to manage and for insurance companies when they deal with these cases, right? Because they're going to be looking at, oh, we see that you took this antidepressant during this period of time. Now you have another mental health disorder. We're going to deny your claim. It's not as simple as that. You have to look at, number one, when did the person go off work? Looking at this, they went off work within the first year of having coverage, which kicks, which then triggers that pre-existing condition investigation. Then the insurance company is going to investigate, is your current disability related potentially directly or indirectly to a condition which is pre-existing for which you had treatment during a defined period of time if the policy has a defined period of time in the definition. So we use this. There's anxiety and depression that is being managed, but it is a condition. It is pre-existing. 
Now there's a new condition, which is also a mental health disorder, that is disabling because clearly this person has been able to manage their pre-existing condition between the, the anxiety and depression, managed to work with that condition, something terrible happens, and this person ends up with the doctor, and the doctor says, well, I'm going to book you off work because you, and I'm giving you this diagnosis. The big question becomes, is the pre-existing condition somehow tied to this condition? And that goes back to what would the doctor say? So this is not an easy question to answer. We would want to look at the clinical records. We want to look at the information that was submitted to the insurance company when it was submitted because many times doctors complete all diagnoses when they submit a claim. They say, oh, the person has anxiety, they've got depression, they've got a panic disorder. Not understanding that the insurance company is actually asking what is the disabling condition and what other conditions may then impact them as well. So we would want to know what is the doctor's opinion. I want to look at the denial letter. I want to look at the policy. But looking at it on the face of it, as this question is posed to us, I think that there is an argument to be made because we're not speaking about the same condition. Yes, it is another mental health condition, but it is a different one. Something traumatic happened. The person has a panic disorder, which means that they probably have panic attacks or anxiety attacks, and maybe some other symptoms. Maybe there's completely different treatment that is in place now, different medications to, to you know, differentiate it from what was there before. So this is the type of question which I really like to dig into, the fact pattern, and have a discussion. So please contact us so we can discuss it with you, and, see, and then you can make a decision as to how to proceed. And that is it for another show. Martin, great job as always, pal, answering questions. And uh, they're always building up, but keep sending them along. We love having you contribute to the show every week. And to uh, to do so from uh, from now moving forward, it's help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we use to read on air, help at disabilityrights.ca. Any other questions can be asked freely and anonymously at mydisabilityquestions.com. And finally, the phone number to, uh, to leapfrog all that, get on with uh, Martin and his team. Use this number, one 855 5821 5900. That's it. That's a wrap. We'll catch you next time here on the Disability Law Show.